0: Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. In breadth, 50 cubits. And in tight, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with the lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Father, we thank you for uh, your grace, God. That even though we live in a world that is corrupt, God, that even though we are rebellious and we're, we're sinners, uh, we're fallen. God, you have, in your grace and favor, provided a way, a means of salvation, a means of rescue, a means of preservation. Father, thank you that you're that kind of God. Father, we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it, but God, you have given grace. And we rejoice in your grace today. God, please help us to, to take the reality of judgment seriously. Help us to live in reverent fear and to be people of faith. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you remember Y2K? Remember Y2K? Yeah. People under fifteen have no idea what that was, do they? You prob- probably not. I wouldn't know why you wouldn't know that, really, unless you you read your history books. But Y2K was a pretty big deal ten years ago. Uh, it was the the uh, uh, the the bridging of the millennium. Okay, from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand was supposed to happen at midnight. Uh, on new year's eve uh and and what was thought maybe to happen was that like the whole world was going to come to an end you know uh, it was like all the computers were going to crash because there was this uh this thing in them that they didn't do the dates wrong and they only put so much you know so many digits and so they, they didn't know it was going to happen they didn't know you know when that turns over then what's going to happen and you know there's all these scenarios about all the computers crashing and all the banking systems and all the uh the, all the missile launching systems and everything was going to go down and we we're going to r- return to this primal age of you know uh going and hunting bison with sticks and spears and you know and and so there's this all this this hubbub for about a year or so you know it was built up and there was actually a guy in our association that he he, he i mean he was sold out on this deal he moved here from california got him like a a, a a ranch and and had goats and and cows and you know everything he needed to be like self-sustaining you know and i mean he kind of had me spooked as he was talking about it you know because we've got enough enough to live for about three days i think in our house you know uh, maybe it depends on if we cut the kids back on their eating, but, but you know, but he's, like, got all this planned and this prepared, but it was this huge deal, okay, and so pretty much uh, the world was separated into two different groups, there were people that bought into this and said, you know what, man, this is going to happen, it's going to be, you know, catas- catastrophic, it's going to be horrible, and they began to prepare, this was a small group, by the way, you know, and they, they stockpiled food and sandbagged and AK-47s, you know, get ready to to, to shoot the, the looters, and, I mean, it was just this, 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 this small group of people who really bought into this and believed this. And then there's this whole other group of people, which probably you were included, that we thought, nah, nothing's really going to happen. I mean, they're talking it up, and it's on the news, but it, it's going to be fine, and nothing actually will happen. And, and you know the story, nothing did happen, right? New Year's Eve rolled around, uh, year 2000 came, no computers crashed, that I know of anyway. Uh, nothing nothing bad happened, no looters, no, no nothing at all, okay? It ended up to be no big deal, okay? Now... There's a lot of people that are banking on that's what God's judgment's going to be like, okay? Just like they thought of Y2K, there's a lot of people that are banking on, you know what? God says this is going to be a big deal. God says that there's a coming judgment. God says that sin's going to be punished. God says that the wrath's going to come down. God says that Jesus is going to split the skies, and there's going to be this cataclysmic judgment where everybody's going to be divided into the sheep and the goats, and God's, you know, there's going to be a great right throne to judgment. But you know what? Probably nothing's really going to happen, okay? Now, I don't know that people would actually say that, but there's a lot of people that that's the way they're living their life. They're living their life just banking on that God is not really serious about judging sin. You know, that they're going to be okay, and maybe they haven't got everything right, and, and maybe, maybe they're not born again, but you know what? It's going to be fine. It, it, you know, it, God's really not serious about that, and I'm sure it'll be okay, and someone's taking care of it, and, and, and it's not that big a deal. There's a lot of people that hold to the belief that everyone sins, so it can't be that big a deal. I mean, if everybody doesn't, then surely it can't be that big a deal. Or If I'm not worse than anybody else, which we never are, right? We're never worse than anybody else, then, then, then surely it's going to be okay. And I hear this one all the time. A good God would surely never send anyone to a literal hell where they would be in conscious torment forever and ever. Surely, God's not really serious about that. I mean, we kind of look at it like Y2K. I mean, there's a bunch of hubbub about about it There's a guy that gets up and yells about it. He's all convinced of it. But it's probably really not going to happen. Folks, what, what we see in Genesis chapter 6 is that God puts a definitive exclamation point behind the fact that judgment will come. We know it will come because God's already done it once. You see, I mean, that's the big deal about the flood. It, we've already seen judgment, okay? God's not, not... He's just not trying to scare us into obedience, okay? This is really going to happen. I mean, if there had been a... Uh, what would that have been called? Like, Y1K? If there would have been a Y1K, you know, at the turn of the millennium, and from 999 to 1000, all the wagon wheels would have fallen off, and, you know, all the horses wouldn't have been able to walk, and, you know, all the all the stoves wouldn't have burned, you know, and we'd have had that in our history, and said, wow, you know what? When this millennium turns over, I mean, it's bad, okay? it's kind of, We already saw it once, so, hey, it's going to turn over again, and we ought to be expecting the same thing. I mean, that would have put a lot more certainty in my heart that, you know what? Maybe there's something to be scared about. And folks, what we see in the book in the bible is that god has proven already he is serious about judging sin Folks, I beg you to take a look at the biblical account here. God's already judged the world. There's no need to wonder, you know, is God really going to judge sinners? Could God really, you know, have a whole bunch of people perish? Would God really send someone to hell? Folks, God has already done that. There's no need to speculation. It is history. God has judged sin. God has poured out His wrath on wickedness. God will not spare those who are guilty. In fact, there's New Testament passages that look back to the flood and they say, look, th- th- this is what we learned from the flood. And 2 Peter chapter 2. Now I'm going to read it. It starts in verse 4. And he gives several examples, okay? The first one he says, if God did not spare, okay, that's the whole point. If God did not spare the angels when they sinned, okay, that was the, the fallen angels, the devil and all the demons who, who who turned against God and they fell. It says, God didn't spare them, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness and kept them in judgment. And then verse 5 says, if he did not spare the ancient world. That's our story today. The world of Noah. He didn't spare them, but he but he. Just Judge the entire world, but preserve Noah, herald of righteousness, with seven others. And then in verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God didn't spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he destroyed them all with fire and brimstone from heaven. And then verse 7 says, and if he rescued righteous lot. And then it goes on to verse 9 says, then the Lord knows how to rescue. This is the application. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The point of that passage is, look, God didn't spare the angels when they sin. God didn't spare the world of Noah when they sin. God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah when they sin. God will not spare us, okay? We shouldn't think, well, maybe God's just kidding. Maybe this is just Y2K all over again. Nothing really serious to worry about. No, God has shown consistently, faithfully, okay? He will judge sin. And folks, God's judgment is scary. You know, man, man, you think Halloween is scary. I mean, consider a worldwide catastrophic flood that hits so suddenly and so unexpectedly that it destroys every living thing on earth except for those whom God supernaturally protects in an ark. Okay? That is serious. I mean, can you think of anything more serious than that? Uh, Folks, it's not unthinkable that God would condemn a world full of sinners to an eternity separated from His presence. That's not unthinkable because we've already seen God acts consistently to judge sin. What's unthinkable is that God lets us live today. I mean, that's really the wow thing, okay? I mean, the wow thing is not wow. Would God really judge? Is He really going to come back? Is He really going to judge sin? that That's not the wow. The wow is that He hasn't already done it, okay? That's the wow because God consistently acts in this way. God judges sin. He is righteous. He, he is holy. And when He judges, it it, it, is, it is a fearful thing to see. You know it's kind of humorous that that this is one of the favorite Bible stories for kids, isn't it? You know, I mean, every we, we decorate our nursery has a big Noah's Ark mural on it, and you're, you know, you probably had your gave your I know my kids had Noah's Ark little. We had a little Lego one, and we had little uh, those round people, those Weeble Wobble dudes. Uh, we had one of those Noah's Ark, you know, and 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 it's a great story, and it's perfectly appropriate because the Ark is a great picture of salvation. I mean, hopefully that's what we're trying to teach our kids is, man, this is God's salvation. I mean, it's it it it's a it, it, it's a looking forward to how God. God's going to save, okay? save through Christ. But the problem is, is that most of the time we don't go ahead and fill in the blanks with our kids to say, you know what? This story is really about God being serious about sin, God being serious about gossiping and and slander and violence and pride and hatefulness. And God's serious about that stuff. And the problem is we don't get around to telling kids the rest of the story. We kind of stop with all, the, all the, the animals loaded on the ark and Noah and his family loading on the ark. And Noah's kind of looking out. And I mean, basically, it's a, it's a cruise ship is what it is. I mean, that's what kids get from that story is, man, Noah went on a three-day cruise, you know. And he had all the he animals. He got to bring his pets, you know. I mean, that's, that's a lot of times the story that, that we leave kids with. Folks, the, the other part of that story is that every other living thing on the planet died. Perished, swept away in God's judgment. In Matthew 24, Jesus gets, uh, I think, gives us a little context. that's really interesting. He, he sets the setting of Genesis 6, which we don't really get to see this much. But, but, but he says, he, he talks about in Matthew 24 that, that in Noah's day, the world was completely unaware of what was about to hit them. Matthew 24, verse 37. Listen to this. He says, as we're in the days of Noah, okay, he's comparing it to what's going to come when he comes back. He says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Okay? So right up until right up until the heavens opened and the floodgates from beneath opened and God swept away the entire world in judgment. Everybody was just going about their bed. It was a normal day. It was a day just like yesterday and just like today. A morning just like this morning when people were just doing their things. They, they, they were going about their daily stuff. Wedding showers and, 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 and taking care of kids and soccer tournaments and going to work and, and playing in the park and frisbee. I mean, it was just a normal day. They had no idea they were about to be swept away in the fury of God's judgment. And Jesus says it's going to be exactly that same way again. And they were completely unaware. You know why? Because they ignored God. It wasn't that they couldn't have known. They could have. But they ignored God. They ignored his word. They didn't seek his truth. They were not interested in God. And, and Jesus says in verse 37, it will be exactly the same way when Christ comes again. When, when, when the earth and the universe, this time, will be destroyed by fire. That's what Second Peter tells us. When every man, woman, and child will appear before the great white throne of judgment, it's going to happen again. And people are going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be wrapped up in their lives. And they're going to be caught up in their busyness. I mean, can't you see that happening? I mean, aren't we busy? I mean, we, we all can identify with that, right? I mean, we're just, we're just going, you know, going to the next thing and get to the next place and, and hurry, hurry. And we got this on our plate and that on our plate. And we got all these relationship problems. And, you know, we're, we're upset at this person. we just caught up in our own deal. And bam, the judgment of God's going to hit. God's going to do it. It's coming. Okay. And he's been so faithful to warn us. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. Do you, do you love your Bible? I and mean, Do you appreciate your Bible? I mean, God's been so faithful to warn us. He's been so faithful to write it all down in this book, okay? Each of you, you've got a copy of it in your hands, okay? Wow. And God's told us he's, he's going to judge the earth. He's going to judge sin because he's holy and he's grieved by sin. Listen to the condition of the ancient world. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. N- not just actions, but man, do you, do you see how deep sin goes? And, and we know this about ourselves, don't we? I mean, e- even down to, to our thoughts. Yeah, you know, that's a spooky thing that God looks at our thoughts, isn't it? I mean, we got, here, here in Genesis 6, God says, I, I see the wickedness of man. You know, I see what's happening. I see violence. I see immorality. I see selfishness. I see pride. God sees all that. But then he comes back and he says, and every intention of the thoughts of, of his heart is only evil continually. God's looking at your thoughts. God's looking at your heart. He's looking at what you're bound up about inside. You know, what's all got you all all stirred up? What What's your passion about? What's consuming your mind? What's running around in your thought? Man, God sees that. And he looks at the world and he says, look, it's evil continually. Even the thoughts, it's just only evil. All God saw in the day of, in the day of Noah was wickedness. In verse 11, he goes on, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. He says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. That word corruption means something spoiling, okay? I mean it's just getting worse. It's going, it's going from better to worse. It's going from bad to worse. We, we looked at that verse or that, that word. It's actually a different word because this is in Hebrew and in the New Testament in Greek, but but it's the same English word. In Galatians chapter six, verse eight. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh, the one who, who lives their life according to their own sinful desires, okay, to what their self wants. Listen to what it says. It says, Well from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Bible teaches that when we live according to our sinful desires, you know what happens? We, we corrupt, okay? We spoil. I mean, we spoil things. Relationships spoil, and, and, and communities spoil, and, and the world spoils. We go from better to worse. Verse 11 says, filled with violence. They're filled with slander, and gossip, and defrauding, and neglecting, and, and, and using, and assaulting, and raping, and stealing, and lying. It, it reminds me of Romans chapter 3. In the book of Romans, chapter 3, Paul gives us this, this picture of, of human nature. And he says in verse 10, No one is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless, worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is on their lips, and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. Their way of peace they have not known. There's no fear before God in their eyes. And Paul is not talking about the days of Noah. He's talking talking about today. He's talking about his day. He's talking about human nature. That's us, okay? In Genesis 6, 6, this is an interesting verse. The Lord sees all this, okay? And verse 6 says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Have you ever thought about God being... Got to be careful here so that we don't give God, I guess, human traits. God's not a man. But but the Bible is clearly using human traits t- to communicate to us something about God. Have you ever thought about God being grieved over your sin? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about God just being emotionally tore up over what you think about your neighbor? Over how you treat your kids or how you treat your family or how you treat your church? You ever thought about God being emotionally just grieved, emotionally I don't even know the words to say, have you ever thought about God being emotionally stirred over what you look at on TV and over where you go and over what words come out of your mouth? Man, that, 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 that's, that's, that's a heavy thing, isn't it? You know, that, that God looks down and, and he's sorry. Okay, now I don't think it's saying that God's like, boy, I made a mistake here. God doesn't make mistakes. That's not what it's saying. It's communicating to us that God is grieved over sin. And when he sees you sin, when you sin, God, that grieves God. It anguishes him to see see his creation, the image and likeness of God living in sin. You know, it it grieves us, doesn't it? Certain sins, certain things in life. It grieves us when we see precious things being treated as worthless. Em and I were at a restaurant the other day. It was a fast food restaurant. We were just getting a bite to eat. And there was a family. Man, I I felt for them. I'm not judging them because I know exactly what they're feeling. But have you ever like... Like you had it up to your kids about four hours ago, you know, and it's 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 already gone that far, you know, and and I could tell they're coming in, they're just they're 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 all the way. I mean, they're maxed up, emotional cup is spilling over, and and the family's just not in a good place, and they're trying to sit down and eat, and the kid is just not behaving, and the mom, they're both, they're just about to lose it. They are losing it, you know, and and you can just tell by the way that 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 this mom, you know, spoke to to the little kid and the way she grabbed her you know, to put her in her chair, and the girl kept coming, you know, and i tell you what, I was just grieved, you know, and, and, and again, I, when we got in the car, you know, him and I, we, we actually left, I mean, we just couldn't take it, you know, it's one of those deals where it's like, I can't take it, you know, please don't, don't do that, don't, you know, I mean, it was a grieving thing, you know, we both got in the car, and we said, you know what, there's probably been times where people would have saw us, they would have said the same thing, so we're not, you know, but, but, but it was a grieving thing to see something precious being treated disdainfully, Okay? Man, can you imagine God looking down and seeing how we trample the precious things of life? Just as it grieves a mother to see their child put something filthy in their mouth. Doesn't that grieve you? Man, I'll never forget. I've told you this before, but it sticks in my mind. I'll never forget, Addie's about three years old, maybe four. We're in the Dodge City McDonald's. Now, our McDonald's is pretty clean, actually. But still, you know, it's McDonald's, okay? But we're in the Dodge City McDonald's. Dodge City McDonald's is not as clean. I hope nobody owns that here or anything like that. But it's not as clean as ours, or at least it wasn't when Addie was three or four. And I remember ordering. We're traveling to home to Kansas. I remember looking down, and my little Addie's three or four, and she's got there at the counter, you know, just about the right high of the counter, and she's doing this. Going up and down the counter, you know? And it's just like... No, you know, get back. You know. I mean, it's, a, it's just a, you know, it's kind of a repulsive thing. It's like, don't put that in your mouth, you know. I mean, can, can you imagine God looking down and seeing what we put in our life and what comes out of us? That's worse than germs and oil field dirt and whatever else is on that counter. It's a grieving thing. Man, how do you feel when someone lies to you? Not not just anybody, not not the salesman or the you know not that kind of lie, but like somebody you love, you know, when they lie to you, isn't that a grieving thing? I mean, it's just like it's like it's like you see the relationship just being bent and cracking, and man, it's just it's a, it's a grieving thing. Folks, please understand, God is holy, and God is grieved when we treat sacred things as worthless, and God is grieved when we go after filth. In harmful things. God is grieved when we despise the relationship we, we have with Him and with others. We treat Him as contempt. God is grieved over those things. And He still is today. Not just in Noah's day. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that we grieve. Says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a passage that talks about a church that's, that's treating each other with malice and contempt and harshness and, and says, Man, don't you grieve the Holy Spirit when you do that. God is emotionally angry. You poke God in the eye when you sin against your brother. And I know that, that that's hard probably for our world to get. It's hard for us to understand because a lot of times we're just not grieved at all by sin. We're not we're not grieved when people devote themselves and their lives to worthless things. We're not grieved as we ought to be when when people embrace and imitate what is foul and base and ugly. We're not grieved when people strike out at each other with their words or actions. We're not grieved because we're not We're not like God, but we ought to be like God. And and, and what what the Bible tells us is when a man comes to repent of his sins and put his faith in Christ and he's joined to Jesus Christ and the old him dies. That's a picture of baptism we just saw. The old him dies and the new him is is raised up. What the Bible says is we ought to begin to be like God in that. What breaks the heart of God ought to break our heart. And and what God despises, we ought to despise it. Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord, you ought to hate evil. If you love the Lord, hate evil. Because God is just and God is holy and and sin grieves the heart of God. And so here we have in Genesis chapter 6, man, the the earth's not even very old. Creation is not even very old. And already it's completely spoiled. It's corrupt. It's rotten. It's going from from worse to worse. And God looks down upon it. And man, for, for a moment, it almost seems like this deal's over, you know. God, God's going to judge. He's going to bring justice. What about the offspring of the woman? You know, crushing the head of the serpent. What about redemption? What about salvation? What about the promise? For a minute, it looks like it's just going to be game over. and Total loss. No Messiah. God's done. He, he's saying, I, I'm not doing this anymore. But, but then, then a guy named Noah. Okay? Now, we've now we got to be careful here. This, this, this is delicate. We've got to be careful because our tendency is to look at the character of Noah and say, Okay, wow. Look, verse 9 says... They're, these are the generations of Noah. Noah's a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And our tendency is be like, wow, okay, wow, finally. You know, we thought the whole thing was done. God was going to scrap it all. You know, No Messiah, no Christ, no salvation, no redemption. But hey, here's one guy that's got it right. I mean, he's blameless in his generation. He's a righteous guy. Okay, It even says he walks with God. Walk means your daily practical life. So this is a guy who, who daily practically lives in harmony with God. And we can almost just say, wow, thank goodness for Noah. Thank goodness that Noah got it right. You know, everybody else got it wrong because if Noah wouldn't have got it right, you know, God just, God just destroyed it all. But I think we miss something if we miss verse 8, okay? Before it talks about Noah's character, here's what verse 8 says. But Noah found favor in the eyes of, of the Lord. That word favor is the word that's translated in much of the Old Testament as grace, okay? Grace and favor, are, you know, they mean the same thing pretty much in English. You know, favor is, is when you give somebody uh, something they don't deserve. You give them your favor. That's what grace is. It's when you give them what they don't deserve. It's to find favor in someone's eyes is, is to find grace, is to find, find uh, uh, help. And, and so verse 8 says Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord okay so I, I want you to keep that in mind as you look at God's care, as you look at Noah's character because what I see in this passage is that Noah is who he is because of God's favor because of God's grace we need to be real careful to think that someone makes it without God nobody makes it without God the Bible says we're all sinners we're all corrupt and it's only by his grace that Noah was the man that, that, that God made him to be okay grace transforms you guys know that if you're believers then you you receive the grace of god god showed favor in your life he revealed his truth to you he opened your eyes to see who he is and your life was transformed in the same way verse eight says noah finds favor in the eyes of god and then in verse nine it says he's a righteous man he's blameless he walks with god why because he found favor in the eyes of god so god god is producing redemption here okay and god does that just like god always does first of all by revealing his word to noah Okay, you know what God does when he begins to change people? right here he, he opens up our eyes to the truth, right to the preaching of the word to the to, to the Bible, to the Word of God. look in verse 13, okay. Verse 13 says, and God said to Noah. Very significant. What does God do? God speaks to him. He speaks his word to him. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through, through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God reveals the coming judgment to Noah. But not only does he reveal the judgment, but God also reveals... The salvation, okay? Look at verse 14. Here's how you're going to be saved, Noah. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. This is, this, is this is going to be a salvation. So God reveals. God speaks his word to Noah, revealing both the judgment that's to come and also the means of salvation. Folks, do you see that God has done the exact same thing to you? God has revealed to you. If you have one of these in your hand, if you don't, we'll put one in your hand. But it's a Bible. It's God's Word. And in this, it clearly tells us there's going to be judgment for sin. In this book, it tells us, Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In this book, it tells us we're all sinners. Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that judgment is coming. In this book, it tells us Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to split the skies. He's, he's going to separate the world into the sheep and the goats. Into his followers and those who are not his followers, and there's going to be a judgment in which those who are not the followers of Christ will be cast into an eternal hell forever and ever. The Bible has clearly spoken to us. God spoke to Noah; He revealed His judgment. God has spoken to you as well and revealed His judgment. But not only has God revealed His judgment, God has also revealed the plan of salvation. For Noah's day, it was an ark. Okay, you had to be in the ark. For our day, it's Christ. You you must be in Christ. Unless you're in Christ, you'll perish. If you are not in the ark, you perished in Noah's day. If you're not in Christ, you per- you'll perish today. Notice in, in, okay? Not around. Please, please don't be a person who thinks, you know, I'm going to grab the rudder, you know. And if this thing's really true, I'll be close enough, you know. I won't look stupid, I won't, but I'm going to stay close. And when the rain comes, I'm going to rush the rush the ark, grab onto the rudder and hold on, Okay? It's not enough to be around the church, not enough to be around Christ. It's not enough to be to be close, in the proximity, associated with the people of God. That's the whole message of Hebrews. Is there people who are associated with the church, associated with Christ, but they're not in Christ. But listen, it's not enough for God to graciously reveal his truth. Okay? Because you know what? Here's what I believe I believe there were lots of people in Noah's day who heard. The message of judgment and the message of salvation by an ark. And, and the reason I believe that is because in 2 Peter, I think it's 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2.5. Listen what it says. We already read this once. If he did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah. And then notice how, how Peter describes Noah. This is what it says. A herald of righteousness. You see that? Now what what's a herald? A herald is someone who proclaims something, right? And so it describes Noah as a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. Here's, here's what I believe. I believe Noah was preaching for 120 years while the ark was being built. Okay? And, and you know, you got to believe what a sermon illustration, huh? <laughs> you know? I mean, in a day with no, no boats and, you know, nobody going to sea and there's no ocean around. And, you know, you're, you're building this aircraft carrier in your backyard. That's got to be a conversation piece, doesn't it? And so what I believe is there were other people who heard the word that Noah heard. But listen, here's the difference. They didn't believe it. Okay. They didn't believe it. Noah believed. Okay. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Noah got in the ark. In Hebrews chapter 11, Noah is mentioned as in in the hall of faith. And in verse 7, listen what it says. It says by faith. Okay. You hear that? You hear that? The, the, the Bible's telling us what was going on in Noah's heart, okay? By faith, by faith, verse 7 says, Noah being warned by God. There's the word of God, okay? By faith, Noah being warned by God. He got the word of God concerning events yet unseen and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith, okay? Noah received the word. And notice what, the word, notice what Hebrews eleven seven 7 says. Events as yet unseen, you see, that's what faith is. Faith is grabbing on to the word of God even if we don't have this tangible evidence around us. No, Noah believed Events yet unseen. Okay, there was no weather channel showing the hurricane coming. All right, there was no weather channel showing. You know, wow, there's going to be a cataclysmic. The perfect storm is coming. There's no seismic readings detecting some some monstrous tsunami. Some some cataclysmic events. There was none of that. Remember, Matthew 24 said people were going about their day like it was an absolute normal day. Nothing unusual. Nothing out of the ordinary, doing whatever they do every day. No clouds, no rising rivers, no physical signs that Noah could lean upon. You know what Noah had? Listen, what he had was one thing, God's Word. God said, this is what's going to happen. God said, the only means of salvation is this. That's all Noah had was the Word of God, and Noah believed it, okay? Noah, Noah based his giving of his entire life, basically... To build something that every other person on the planet said was useless. Noah did that. Why? Because he believed the word of God. No, no, Noah was motivated to endure ridicule and misunderstanding by his community to be different from everybody else. Why did he do that? Because of the word of God. Noah spurred on to devote massive amounts of time. I can't imagine this. Time and energy and labor and resources and money to build this thing. Okay? Why? Because the word of God. What did Noah have? He had God's truth. And God's truth was enough. The word was enough to motivate him to live his life radically different based upon what God had said. I think a great question for us to ask ourselves is, is this enough for you? You know, this says a lot of things, doesn't it? God's word to us, and we've got more than Noah had. I mean, God's word about sin, and God's word about forgiveness, and God's word about holiness, and God's word about sex before marriage, and God's word about lying, and God's word about cursing, and God's word about Jesus, and God's word about priorities. God's word about what's the passion of your life, what's most important, what should you be giving yourself to, what should you be reading, what should you be memorizing. I mean, God's word, okay? And here's the question, is it enough for you? For Noah, it was. He didn't need, he didn't need the weather channel. He, he didn't need some CNN reporter saying the flood's coming. He didn't need that stuff. For him, it was enough that God had spoken it and he's willing to, to radically shift his life. Are you? And, and you know, here's the cool thing. You can't answer that with your mouth. <laughs> you got to answer it with your life. Here, here's the thing about Noah. Okay? Noah's faith was visible. That's why he makes it into Hebrews eleven, okay? Because his faith was visible. Says, by, notice in verse seven. If we go back to Hebrews eleven seven, let's do a little grammatical stuff here. We could get Michelle up and we could diagram this, but we're not going to do that. But we're Michelle, you correct me if I'm wrong after the sermon. But in verse seven, it says by faith Noah, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that that it's like what is that called? Like a supportive clause, something like that. Okay, she she says, you're all messed up, Pastor. It says, okay, by faith Noah, and then being warned of God, concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, and then, here's, here's the verb, constructed an ark. So, by faith Noah did what? Constructed an ark. Okay, in other words, Noah's faith moved him in a visible way to a visible action in his life. You know what James 2, 17 says? It says, faith without works is dead. Now, now James is not in any way saying, hey, you know what? You know how you're saved? You're saved by doing a bunch of good things. Do, do a bunch of works. Not saying that. Not, not, no. What he's saying is, if you believe the word of God, there will be a visible effect. There'll be works. Okay? There'll be works. And, and you know what? I would say that Noah's faith was visible. Probably from miles away, wouldn't you? I mean, a 450 foot long boat. That's that's 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. That's probably visible, isn't it? I mean, you could probably see it from everywhere in his community. People could look and say, man, they wouldn't have said this, but they could have seen Noah had faith. He had faith in the word of God. Then his faith resulted in a visible decades of labor and planning and sawing and nailing and waterproofing and financial sacrifice. Listen, if Noah would have said, "God, I believe you." And here's what a lot of people do today. Don't don't do this, okay? If Noah would have said, God, I believe your word. I believe you're going to bring judgment. And I, I believe the only means of salvation is to be in the ark. And God, I believe all of that. But you know what, God, I'm really busy. And I've got all this other stuff to do. And, and I, don't, I don't really have the money to build this thing. And, you know, it's just a lot of work. And we've got some other things going on. And I've got three sons. And we're trying to start an orchard business. And, and you know, God, we've just, well, I know you're going to understand, God, because we're just really super, you know, tied up with this other stuff. And I think we're going to get to the ark. But, you know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they want to start this thing. And, and once we get that going, you know, God, you know, hey, we live to be eight, 900 years old, so we've got time to do this, God. If Noah would have done anything else besides build an ark, you tell me, did he believe? If God tells him, judgment's coming, I'm going to destroy the earth. The only means of salvation is you building an ark. If Noah doesn't build it, does he believe? No, he doesn't. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if I don't respond... If my life is, is not about Jesus, if, there, if my heart is not changed, if my, if my faith has no visible effects, do I really believe? And I think the, the answer to that is no. I think it's no. Folks, if you believe God's truth, how will that affect your life in a visible way? If you believe the truth in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven... Is like a treasure worth giving everything for? What's that gonna do? Is there gonna be anything visible that 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 comes out in your life? There gonna be works? I think there's gonna be, right? If if you believe the truth that God is working all things for good, how's that gonna visibly manifest itself in your life? If you believe the truth that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, what visible response is gonna be in your life? If you believe the truth that the cross of Christ brings forgiveness and righteousness in Christ can be imputed to our account, how's that visibly gonna look in your life? It's It's going to look like something. Look back in Hebrews 11. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and then look at this, in reverent fear constructed an ark. Okay, one of the things that, that faith did, one of the things that believing the word of God did for Noah is that it brought about a reverent fear in him. Okay. Not not the kind of fear that says, "Man, I think God is a loose cannon and I'm I'm afraid of him." But the kind of fear that says, "I am going to take him serious." Okay, that's what reverent fear is. My I, I bought my son his first BB gun uh, the other day and a pellet gun, and uh, we were out shooting and stuff, and it brought back memories of of my first pellet gun. You know, and I remember uh, getting it, and and I remember being out with my dad, and my dad was burning trash. <laughs> Did anybody else burn trash? I didn't know there were garbage trucks, you know. I really didn't. We, we burned our trash and we hauled it to the canyon and dumped it, you know. But I remember my dad was out burning trash and I was out trying to shoot a bird or something. And I had no BBs in it. And it was not pumped up. It wasn't, you know. it was The safety was on. And I did this kind of fun thing toward my dad where I pointed it at him, you know. And and I did not have a BB gun for like six months after that, you know. I mean, and it was just like he just came down on me, you know. Just ugh, Harsh. And I, I remember thinking, man, that you're just being too hard. But you know what my dad was doing? He wanted to produce in me a reverent fear. Okay, he wanted to produce in me. He didn't want me to be afraid of guns. We we all bird hunt. Well, this Thanksgiving, well, all, all my brothers, my dad will go bird. It's a, it's a family tradition. He didn't want me to like not like guns. But you know what he wanted? He wanted to instill in me this is a serious deal. I don't care if it is a BB gun, whatever kind of gun it is, you don't point it at anybody ever. Okay. That, that's what he was trying to communicate. You know, what, you know what believing the word of God for Noah did? It brought about this seriousness in his life. He said, I'm not going to trifle with this. I'm not going to treat this as if it's not a big deal. I'm not, I'm not going to treat faith and, and church and cross and baptism and Lord's Supper as if it's this thing that I can take or leave. Or No. It produced in Noah a reverent fear. You know, think about this. Is it possible to, to really believe and embrace the word of God and not have reverent fear? You know, is it, is it possible to believe wholeheartedly in the wickedness of sin that brings death and have no fear of sin? Is it possible to completely embrace the truths about Jesus coming and an eternal hell that awaits those not joined to Christ and, and have, no, have no seriousness about the gospel and about our families? Is it possible to believe in the reality of a, of a devil who's a supernatural being that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? The Bible likes him to a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy and, and to realize our own inclination towards sin and not have this reverent caution in us? I, I just don't believe it is. I think if we believe God's word, then like Noah, we'll respond in reverent fear with actions of faith. In obedience to God. I think the key phrase that happens in Genesis 6 over and over again. Verse 22. Noah did this all. He did all that God commanded. In chapter 7 verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. I mean you hear that over and over again. Why why is he doing that? Why is he he doing this crazy thing? Because he believes God. Hebrews 11 again. Kind of a funny phrase. At the end it says. um, By this he condemned the world. And became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You you know, if if you believe and if you have faith, there's a sense in which you're going to say something to the world by the way that you live. You're going to condemn it. What does that mean? I I don't think that means, you know, judgment, sinner, you're going to burn, you know, that sort of thing. I I think what it means is I think there was a real sense in which Noah lived his life in a way that said, I'm not with you. I mean, the world was wicked, every evil, and and, and there was a sense in which I I think Noah was a community guy. Obviously, he was a herald of righteousness, probably respected because of his his own personal integrity. But yet, Noah lived his life in which he said, you know what? I'm not not with the world that's perishing. There's a sense in which I got to tell you, I'm with Jesus. I'm with God. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine the pressure of being the one family in the world that believes God? And we think we got it difficult sometimes. Look at us. We, we're together, you know. Come back in, in an hour. There's a whole other group. We're together on this thing. You know, go across town. There's other groups. We're together. Noah's by himself. But Noah believes the word of God. I want to finish by, I think, the most eerie verse in this passage. And it's, it's chapter 7. It's Genesis chapter 7. And the, God's told them to get on the ark. They got on the ark. The animals are on the ark. Noah's family's on the ark. And then at the end of verse 7, or verse 16, I'm sorry, it says, And those that entered the ark, male and female, all of the flesh, went, as, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. In some translations it says, And the Lord shut the door. I think that's significant that Noah didn't shut the door. You know? I mean, Noah, Noah didn't keep anybody out. That wasn't Noah's place. You know who shut the door? God shut the door. There came a time where God said, I said, The door's shut. Nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming in. Judgment time is ready. Folks, there, there's, there's coming a time. Please, again, do we believe, if we believe there's going to be this reverent caution in us, this soberness, this seriousness, do we believe there's going to be a time coming again where God's going to shut the door? Not to the ark, but he's going to shut the door. To salvation. No more. That's it. Judgment's time's coming. It's done. I think there is. Do you believe God's truth? And if you believe, is is there visible evidence? There needs to be. There should be. There should be. Your faith should have some works. It should have this visible evidence in your life that you believe what God has said. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and mercy. God, we know that the ark is, is a picture of, of Your mercy displayed and, 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 and given to us. Father, I, I pray that, that we would be in Christ. Father, that we would believe what, what You have told us about, about sin and about wickedness and about salvation and about Christ. Father, please draw us to Yourself.